indeed, Lord, there are many things that would distract us from hearing your word. We have unconfessed sin. We have uh, concerns that are legitimate. And then we have those concerns that are of the world that would seek us from being able to concentrate on your word and to hear clearly what you would say to us about an important topic. Father Almighty, I pray that you would enable us to hear your word tonight. Enable me to hear and to preach your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak into your people so that your people will be able to use your word and become more and more the men and women of God that you have created us to be. And Jesus, above all, God the Son, we ask that you would be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. One Tuesday in particular, I got to work characteristically early for our men's Bible study. I used to lead at 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings, and one man after another came in, and we sat down, and we drank our coffee, and we did whatever study we were doing that day. At some point, our women's ministry director ran into our room and asked us if we had heard about the World Trade Center. We quickly ran upstairs, found a television, and saw the second plane fly into the second building. September 11, 2002, found me in downtown Rialto. I was in charge of setting up the seating for our commemoration of the attacks. We were subjected endlessly, as everyone here probably remembers, to photos being shown uh, on all the various news media going on at the time. Our hearts stirred, in part because of the lack of progress in bringing the guilty parties to justice and because our men and women were once again fighting and dying in a foreign land. Now, I chose the word commemoration on purpose. We weren't celebrating. We weren't happy about what happened. But our souls were desperate to remember rightly. We needed to. It was necessary for us to stop our daily events and breathe for a moment in a ceremony that lent authority and power to our emotions, both our positive and negative emotions. But you know, Americans have forgotten how to remember rightly. The Bible, on the other hand, is chalk full of commands and opportunities to remember rightly. Each and every one of the Old Testament te uh, festivals was a illustration of remembering rightly. Every time a Jew brought their sacrifice to the temple, they, by nature of the event, remembered rightly. And David himself commanded Israel to remember rightly in Psalm 105, where he says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. 
Remembering rightly, in fact, is so important to God that he included it in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Today, we're going to look at one of the most important passages in all the Bible about how you and I need to live by the fourth commandment rightly today. Now, it's fitting that as we look at the first half of Matthew chapter 12, we remind ourselves of the end of what we covered last week because we'll find that something much more than proximity on the page holds these ideas together. You'll remember we ended last week with Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You remember that we spent quite a bit of time last week talking about the authority that Jesus asserted in the last half of Matthew chapter 11. And he ended that chapter with an authoritative invitation. Come to me is both a command and an invitation. Then we find in Matthew chapter 12, the Holy Spirit superintended to put in immediately following this invitation to rest a conversation, instruction on how you and I ought to celebrate or remember or commemorate the Sabbath day, which of course is the day of rest. This morning, this evening then, we want to learn how to rest by remembering rightly. We will learn that rest comes when we remember rightly and especially as we remember the two key purposes that Jesus will give for us in celebrating, remembering, commemorating the Sabbath. And that is number one on your notes if you care to fill this in. Worship Jesus, not yourself. And number two, do good to others instead of ignoring them. So the first point, worship Jesus, not yourself. 12 starting in verse 1. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it they said to him, look your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him but only for the priests? Now, 
on face value as we read this story in Matthew, we find the disciples are walking through a grain field. And the law specifically provided for poor people and for travelers to eat small portions out of standing grain. They weren't allowed to chop it down, but they can grab a handful and eat some of it. The problem here is that they did it on a Sabbath and that there were some Pharisees who had positioned themselves to watch them do it. No one asked in this story how far they walked to get into position to see them. But that's not material. According to the oral law that the Pharisees used, the disciples broke at least four laws. First, they reaped, they took some of the grain, then they threshed it by rubbing it in their hands, then they winnowed it by blowing it, and in so doing, they prepared a meal. Four laws in about 20 paces. But Jesus saw right through their hypocrisy. He related to them a story from the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 21, David and his men ate loaves that were by law only for the priests to eat. But the Bible doesn't condemn David in 1 Samuel 21. It doesn't talk at all about him sinning in this process. So there must be something else at work here that is more than mere law. There must be a reason or reasons that one can break the law and still be guiltless. Jesus continues here in verse 5. He says, verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temples profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, Clearly, with the two examples Jesus just gave, there, Jesus is teaching that there are no absolute commands against work on the Sabbath. Because this priest had to sacrifice at least two sheep every Sabbath. And by the time you got to the days of Jesus, I'm sure it was quite a few more than just two. But then Jesus continues in verse 6. He tells you, I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. Now, this is a strange statement that I'm sure even must have shocked his disciples who, like us, are always a little bit slow on the uptake. A couple of us got it. Okay, good. I know I am slow on the uptake. But here Jesus makes a declaration. I am greater than the temple. And by inference, he's also saying I'm greater than David. So much greater, the argument goes, that even greater allowances for quote-unquote breaking the law need to be given to Jesus. But that's not Jesus' point. That's not the argument Jesus wants to make. What he wants to say is that such work as the priests do and such ignoring of the law that David did it not, is not in fact a sin at all in the first place. And we don't find out until verse 7 what the extenuating circumstances were. What is it that made these two acts not sin? Verse 7. 
If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus again takes these men who are teachers of the law right back to elementary school. He quotes Hosea 6.6 and he gives the sense, the sense of Hosea 6.6 is that if you will lead your life in such a way as to put mercy for your fellow people ahead of offering a sacrifice, you're going to do just fine. You'll do just fine. I believe that this is an example of what the Protestants described after they broke from Rome. They said that the first purpose of the Old Testament law is to give a mirror of God's character. It's, it's there to show us what God's character looks like. And God is concerned about obedience to his laws. Make no mistake here. And God is even more concerned about you and me and the Pharisees having a merciful heart. A heart that reflects the very heart of God who if he was only interested in justice, none of us in this room would even be here right now, would we? Praise Jesus for his merciful heart. And having this kind of heart, having a heart that reflects God's own heart is more valuable than offering thousands of sacrifices in Jerusalem or Santa Maria, California. But then Jesus gives, don't miss this, Jesus gives the single most important verse in the entire New Testament to describe how you and I need to celebrate the Sabbath. Don't miss this. This is the single most important verse for under, understanding New Testament Sabbath teaching. It's found in verse 8. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, whatever else Jesus was trying to communicate when he declared that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one thing that it absolutely must mean is that we put Christ, instead of anything and everything else, we put Christ as first on our Sabbath day. Christ is our first Priority. That's where I get the point, worship Jesus and not ourselves. Now, because you and me, we remain in the flesh, among our many other sins, you and I tend not merely to take it easy on ourselves. You know what I mean by that. It's really easy to yell at the person who cut you off in the freeway, but when you accidentally do it, you're, what? It was an accident. Does anybody else have a problem taking it easy on themselves? Well, I certainly don't. But if that were the worst of it, that would be okay. But we not only take it easy on ourselves, but we worship ourselves. Don't think I'm right on this? The job description of a God is to provide, protect, and give purpose to its subject. Provide, protect, and give purpose to its subject. 
And I would say the number one reason why you and I struggle so much to find time to rest is that we are depending on our own God, namely ourselves, to provide for us, to protect us, and to give us purpose in our lives. But we were never meant to be our own God. We fall far short of the qualifications. This week, take a day and remember rightly. Think thoroughly about it. Remember rightly to rest in Jesus. Especially on the Sabbath. He is the true God, the one who provides for your needs, who protects you from ultimate harm and gives you purpose. If you get nothing else out of this phrase, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, take from it that you are to worship him as your provider, your protector, and the one who gives you purpose. This is not legalism, my friends. This is sanity, This is recognizing the world as it really is. John Piper once did a devotional where that he called the theology of sleep. The theology of sleep is that one of the purposes why you and I need to refresh ourselves every night is because God wants us to take eight hours every day and recognize the world does not depend on us to keep on turning. Do you realize that? You can go to sleep at night And the world will not stop because you took a nap. That's amazing. Because the way I live, I act as if I'm the one who's got to jumpstart the world every day. Anybody else? Am I the only one who lives like that? The same, my friends, could be said about one day per week. Therefore, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. To Jesus. God the Son is standing ready and He wants us to come to Him to lay down our burdens, but we can't stop. We are running after all the things that we need to provide for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to provide purpose for ourselves, but we can't do it. Ask yourself, what yoke am I wearing? What is it that you worship during the week that prevents you from worshiping Jesus on the Sabbath? Now what you're not going to hear me say in this sermon is what you must do or what you must not do because I'm not God and I can't tell you those things. But what I can tell you is that one day a week is not too much to set aside to prove to your own heart that you need God, the Lord, more than you need your own provision. Nothing is wrong with doing the things we need to do and securing the things that we need to do, but we need to put our hope in Jesus, not our hope in things, in circumstances, and relationships. The Sabbath, whichever day you and the Lord decide you ought to celebrate it, enables you to see where your priorities are and get them right so that you can rest by remembering rightly. 
Now again, the Holy Spirit was so kind to give us this teaching on the Sabbath immediately following Jesus' authoritative, remember, command invitation to rest that he enables us to see it here. And he gives us the point that we are to worship Jesus, not ourselves. And then he gives us the second point, to do good to others instead of ignoring them. I'm going to read starting in verse 9 of Matthew 12. Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the others. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now this story, like the first, is straightforward enough. Once again, somebody is there to try to trip Jesus up. And in this case, they take advantage of someone nearby who has a disability. And once again, Jesus takes his accusers to task. Do you, as a normal part of your life, do good to your barn animals? In other words, do you not go feed your dog and your cats because it's the Sabbath? Well, that's ridiculous. And apparently it was not unheard of to have to lift a hundred pound sheep that had fallen into the pit. So Jesus is rhetorically asking two questions here. The first question is, should a sheep have to wait till Sunday in order to be lifted out of the pit? And analogously, should a sick human have to wait till Sunday to receive some basic care? And my friends, listen, this is crucial. Anybody who would suggest the wait ought to be scorned. They ought to be kicked out of the synagogue. And then Jesus makes this point very clear. He says, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, this is an assertion. This is an assertion. This is not a question. So when we hear, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, what we need to put in our minds is, is the, the simple fact it is required by the law to do good on the Sabbath. This is not an option to save a sick human being and give them some basic care. Of course you should. That is the essence of putting God first instead of my own agenda. But, but apart from that, I, wanna, I want you to catch something here. Did you catch in the story that Jesus spoke and the hand was healed? Bones grew. Ligaments connected. Muscles were formed. I'm sure the skin needed to stretch because it was shriveled. My friends, part of the reason why we run helter-skelter in this 
world is because we don't take the moment to re rest in the morning. To go to God's word and not simply let the words pass under our eyes, but to catch it. Wait a minute. Jesus just healed a man of blindness. Wait a minute. Jesus just cleansed a leper with his words. Let your soul soak in the glory of the wonder of the fact that God Almighty lives and he is among us. Let your soul feast on the fact that Jesus is here. In fact, I would say this. If you don't have time in the morning to stand in awe of the Lord while reading a passage or two from his word, perhaps you don't have enough time for breakfast or coffee. No Bible, no coffee. If you want your morning coffee, get up earlier. Again, my friends, this is not meant to be legalism. I'm not issuing a command here that's outside of Scripture. What I'm suggesting is, is that you go and feast your soul. You'll be able to pick up some food later on the day if you need to. And if you're like me, I can do without a little bit of food. But your soul and mine needs to rest every single day by standing in awe of Jesus, worshiping him in his word, instead of scratching our social media itch, instead of rubbing our video game muscle, instead of tickling our so-called news fancy, which is just another way of, you know, going to our own favorite propaganda site and you know, laughing at our, at our side and laughing at their side and saying, yay, raw, our side. But let's get real here. We're back to talking about the Sabbath. I like to go hiking. I like to go in the garden. I like to do all kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things on the Sabbath. I would like to do more of them. But I want to translate this idea that we're pulling from the text into a Sabbath mindset according to what Jesus is talking about. And how I might do that is I might spend just a little more time thinking during the week, how can I involve somebody on my hike? How can I either fellowship with a believer, which by the way, fellowshipping does not mean sitting around talking about baseball, drinking coffee. Fellowshipping means actually going to them and seeing what the Lord is doing with them. Okay, I'm going to stop preaching now. How could I bless others on my Saturday afternoon reading time? By doing that. This is one way of putting our big idea into practice, and that is to rest by remembering rightly. So take some time tonight before you put your head on your pillow and think about these questions. Make a plan this week to 
look ahead as to how you can spend a day this week worshiping Jesus instead of yourself and thinking through how you could spend a day this week blessing others instead of just doing for yourself. Another idea is straight up giving a day, if you have it available, to someone right here at Grace. Or maybe to care for someone in your neighborhood. Wash their car, mow their lawn if you like doing that kind of thing, which I guess isn't me. But if you're doing it with a grace-filled, non-earning kind of heart, then you will be glorifying the Lord and you will be resting by remembering rightly. Because remember, grace is not opposed to work. Grace is opposed to earning. That was from last week. Now, lest we kill our main point with a thousand qualifications, we need to say two things. The first one is, again, I'm the last person to tell you, you must do or you must not do. That's not how God works in my heart. And I don't want to return to legalism. But we also don't want to return to a spiritual sloth that accepts this easy grace that is an excuse to live lives that are untouched by our Christianity. How is it that we look different than the world? And the second thing, we need to pay attention to the warning Isaiah gives in Isaiah 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, meaning you're not walking according to the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, meaning he's not here condemning playing baseball. What he's condemning here is doing your pleasure with a God-centered focus on the Sabbath. But you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The point of this text is to call you and me back to a God focus. The point is not that we can't do the things that we enjoy. The point is that we do the things that we enjoy with a God consciousness, that we're, we recognize that we are in God's presence and we are in the King's service. And we're on duty, so to speak. And this brings us back to the point about rest. So let's remind ourselves of the verses we started with. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you take, as the Pharisees used to call the Sabbath, the yoke of the law, when you take Christ's laws, when you worship Christ instead of yourself, and when you do good for others instead of ignoring them, you will find rest. Now, that's a leap. 
If you go out into the world and you tell them that you're going to do something like that, they're going to say, you are nuts. You are crazy. But that's faith. Because Christ's yoke is far lighter than the yoke we assume when we chase after the stuff, the circumstances, the relationships that we cannot have this side of the millennium. This is true even if you wash someone else's car or mow their lawn. Your rest compared to just the craziness of this life and being absorbed by it is just chasing after the wind. So rest on the Sabbath or any day of the week that you and the Lord choose. Rest is not just sitting down and taking a breather, although sometimes I need that a little more. Resting in this sense is coming to Jesus so that you can worship him and serve him because only in doing that will your soul be filled and your body empowered to live the kind of life that he created you to live and that you've always wanted to live anyway. So don't waste your life. Don't waste your life chasing after stuff, but go and find your rest in Jesus. Now, our text ends in a familiar manner. Verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Are you kidding me? I mean, stop just for a second. Wait. Jesus just healed some guy and you want to kill him. Um, that's weird. But yes, that is what happened. And yes, we are that hard-hearted because every time that we are so hard-hearted that we try to kill Jesus out of our mind because we want to chase after whatever flavor of sin that we like, we are doing exactly in a metaphorical way, what they did. And if you really do try to take five or 10 or 15 minutes resting your soul in the morning, and if you really do try to take four or eight or 12 hours a week and rest by worshiping Jesus, you will face opposition, guaranteed. It may not even be from someone else, but it'll be from your own sinful heart at the very minimum. But when you do this, let God help you keep the Sabbath and motivate you to be closer to Jesus, worshiping him by serving him, putting this attitude above your tea time, putting this attitude above all the things that make you waste your time during the week. Let the Sabbath serve as a reminder to think about others in relationship to how you do things on the Sabbath. Then you will rest from your heavy yoke. Then you will remember. And you will rest by remembering rightly. Lord Almighty, we come to you once again because you are the only one to whom we can come. And God, we ask that you would enable us to rest this week. Help us, Jesus, to rest this week as we put you first on at least one day so that we will be the men and women of God that you have created us to be. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. We love you, Jesus. Amen.